Hey everyone, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my book-loving wife, Liberty. And our distraction known as the Office Cat. Hopefully she won't be too big of a nuisance, but she probably will, because this is the book episode. It's usually when she likes to cause the chaos. We're a married couple with different interests, and we try to bring each other into our hobbies through the latest news in both books and sports. And today, all about them books, about them books. As it should be. So the biggest piece of book news, I think, that came out this week is something that happened while I was editing the week's book episode, and it's that new stills and cast posters have come out for the Shadow and Bone series coming to Netflix on April 23rd, which is also new information. Was this the one that you, like, screamed about while I was getting ready for work that day, and I walked in here, and I'm like, what's going on? You're like, things are happening, and I was you like... You know, I think screamed is a little excessive. I don't think shouted I Shouted with joy? I think I had an exclamation of surprise. <laughs> okay. Because I was very excited. Now we just need like a full real trailer because they have like a teaser trailer that's come out but not the real trailer yet. I haven't watched the, the teaser trailer but I don't, I haven't read the book series either so right. I feel like it's exciting for you and maybe not for me so much. Yeah. The thing that I'm still confused about when it comes to this is that it's supposed to be adapting not just Shadow and Bone that series. Yeah. But it's also adapting Six of Crows that series which comes after Shadow and Bone. So I don't know if it's going to be like one episode from Shadow and Bone and then one from Six of Crows. Like how that's going to work. Right. But I'm sure we'll find out when they do the trailer or something how that's actually going to play out. Yeah. But it also has a release date now. Like, before we didn't know, we just knew April. So it's going to be April 23rd on Netflix. I don't know if they're doing one episode a week or if they're doing a full, you can marathon the whole season one or whatever. Well, streaming services have been doing different things for different shows, it seems. Right. So. so I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But the cast photos from the episodes look great. But the thing that had me, like, over the top with my, you know, exclamation of surprise that happened. Yeah, we'll call it Was that. The, the character posters that came out. Yeah. So they had, like, one character in their full outfit and everything. And I was so effing excited. Like, Inej is my favorite character from the whole Grisha verse and like i feel like they nailed her with that one in the <laughs> costume and everything so i'm super excited i'm a little worried about the darkling and kaz but like that's because like they're the morally gray or bad characters from those two series so like if they don't get them right it's gonna be a problem yeah like the darkling's the bad guy from the first series but Kaz is my little demon child that I love, who's like this morally gray character, and I want them to get him right. Yeah. But that went on longer than I meant to talk about it. I'm just very excited. I don't know if you should read the series or not, so you can watch the show with me. Because if you did, you'd have to read at least four books to watch season one. Yeah, that's a lot. I don't know that I'd be able to get that done in that time. Especially considering we already know where I'm going next. Well, you guys don't know where we're going next, but I know where we're going next. We'll talk about that later in the episode. Yes. But also talking about adaptations, Rick Riordan's Percy Jackson series has recently been announced as a Disney Plus series. And the author himself has discussed on his personal blog about any updates that have been happening with the series. So it's been confirmed that the Percy Jackson series is in the planning stages and that a pilot script has been written. The next step is apparently to meet with Disney Plus executives and adjust the script based on whatever they come back with. And the first season of the new Disney Plus series will follow the events of the first book in his, I think, first series called The Lightning Thief. Yeah. So I don't know what you know about his series it's about children who are like half human half god they've made movies about it before. they made a movie of the first one and it was so bad they didn't do anymore i yeah, believe i watched most of that movie one day i don't remember why i was watching it but i was 
You had a cold and you were bored? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It was okay. Like, it just didn't seem like, A, the CGI was quite on par and the storyline seemed really boring. They also and... kind of took his book and put it in a blender and went, here's the movie. So, like, I read the book and I liked that okay. It wasn't for my age range, so it felt really, like, not dumbed down, but, like, easier to read, faster to get through. Right. And so I know plenty of people who like love anything Rick Riordan writes and he has multiple series now, but I guess they're going for like a better adaptation of his first book, which he deserves because that first one was bad. Yeah. And yet another prequel for Game of Thrones is being lined up for adaptation. Some of the other ones haven't actually gone into production or turned into anything, but they've been optioned. So this is another adaptation that's been optioned. The prequel is titled Tales of Dunk and Egg. I've never heard of this, but it's based on the collection of novellas by George R.R. Martin, and it is in early development with HBO. Okay. The show is apparently going to follow the adventures of Sir Duncan the Tall, who's the dunk part of the title, Mm -hmm. and young Aegon... Targaryen? Targaryen? I'm so bad with their names. Targaryen? That's the one. And he is apparently (laughs) the egg part of that title. I'm glad I'm here for this. Me too, because I'm the book person and I can't pronounce names for crap. (laughs) But apparently it takes place 90 years prior to the events of A Song of Ice and Fire. And according to sources from Variety, there are no writers nor actors... And we'll see if it actually turns into anything because some of his stuff has been optioned and hasn't turned into a show or a movie or anything. But there have been speculations that it needs to happen soon for one of his prequels or he's just not going to get anything optioned in the future or turned into anything. Right. Because I guess the public is getting less interested as time goes on. Well, and the way it ended, everybody's pretty already upset with the whole series, so... But I think he still has a big enough fan base that it would be worth turning something into a show. Yeah. I just would have to see how in the books these novellas relate to the storyline of the actual series. Because for me, I don't care what happened 90 years prior unless it ties into the actual story that I loved in the first place. Yeah, I don't think it... Like, it will pick up popularity just because of the fact that it is Game of Thrones. And his writing, obviously, will drag people into it. It's just a matter of, will it gain the same kind of popularity that Game of Thrones as a TV series had? I just don't know that it will. I don't think so either. People don't want to get burned again like they did with Game of Thrones. And yes, that is a dragon joke. Thank you. Uh, The reality is, though, it's not going to involve the same writers. So, like, the risk is kind of less involved, I guess. Well, unless you have a worse writer and then there's a higher risk. Yeah. So, it didn't help that they didn't have source material to go off of to finish the show. Yeah. So, it's kind of on him as well. Amanda Gorman, who was the youngest known inaugural poet when she spoke at President Biden's inauguration on the 21st, has now topped Amazon and Barnes & Noble's bestseller lists. Less than a day after she delivered her poem called The Hill We Climb, two of her books made the top of those lists. A debut poetry collection also titled The Hill We Climb and a children's picture book called Change Sings that aren't even available yet. They're available for pre-order now. Okay. And they've already made the top of the bestseller list. So she's cashing in on her 15 seconds of fame. It doesn't sound like it's undeserved, though. No, it's not. Like, usually when you say that, it's, like, for people who don't deserve it, but it sounds like she does. No, she definitely deserves it. I just, it's going to be sad because that's all it's going to be, and that's kind of the bummer of it all. Both of these things are going to be released in September, so... At least she knows that it's going to do at least moderately well. Yeah. And I guess kind of still speaking about Biden, but not really. Biden adjacent. (laughs) Okay. So Brayden Harrington is a kid who had a stutter, possibly still has a stutter. And he met with President Biden when he was on the campaign trail last February. The kid is now coming out with a book. Oh, that's cool. So the fellow stutterer is a 13-year-old New Hampshire resident who met with Biden and was encouraged by the president. 
and he is now coming out with a book called Braden Speaks Up, which will be slated for release on August 10th. In an article, he said, I see him as a role model. He stutters, and he made it this far in life. Yeah. So, representation matters, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's great that that, like, the representation for him growing up has somebody to kind of look forward to possibly being as advanced in the life, I guess, of. Well, it shows him that he can do whatever he wants to do, even if he has this sort of battle he has to deal with. Yeah. His own issue to work through. And then in a weird piece of book news mm-hmm. that I found. So apparently Kim Kardashian was robbed in 2016 when she was in France. Yes. I had no clue because I don't follow anyone's news at any point in time ever. You don't follow Kim Kardashian's news at least. Or anyone else. So the person who was charged with the robbery from October 2016 is coming out with a book about their experience robbing her (laughs) which as we discussed last episode in the u.s son of sam laws kind of prevent that from happening because you can't profit from crimes you've committed right in writing books about them apparently that's not the case in france oh i'm not shocked by this just considering like france has always been the one that kind of pushes the limit on media dare i go into all the muhammad adaptations that have come to exist in comics over the years out of france but like i don't think there's any chill really involved with their their media anyways but the book is called je sequestre kim kardashian or i kidnapped kim kardashian And it's set to come out on February 4th, which is the day this episode comes out. In an excerpt published in a French magazine called Closer, Eunice Abbas describes alleged details from the crime, including Kim's attempts to call 911 instead of France's emergency number, which is 112. (laughs) The person goes on to make jokes about the robbery and his co-conspirators. So, like, apparently he had a bunch of old guys helping him commit this crime because, like, no one thinks anything bad about older people as far as like crime and you wouldn't think that an old person's gonna rob kim kardashian or help rob kim kardashian i would say yes you're right but at the same time the amount of old people that have passed off fake money to me or fake checks to me in the retail world over my years i'm not shocked by old people committing crimes yeah at all. i've had sweet little old ladies come in with fake checks and i'm just like come on now yeah But that is all the book news for the week. Like I said, Shadow and Bone is the most important part, in my opinion, of what came out this past week. But I'm also a fan of the Grisha verse, so I might be biased. Yeah. I never claim to not be biased. You heard it here first. (laughs) We're running around with our biases just out in the open 2021. So far, if you can't tell I hate the MLS, you hate uh, or you love the Grisha verse. Yes. I almost said you hate the Grisha verse. I absolutely do not hate them. Yes. But I found a small tag for us to do this week. Okay. Because it's getting very hard to find tags that I feel like you can answer the questions to. So I might just have to start pulling tags that are long that you don't have enough answers to. But for now, I found this one from the blog Hundreds and Thousands of Books. Okay. Sounds like my kind of people. Yeah. If you had your way, our whole house would be bookcases, but like a bed and a couch. And a TV. Yeah. The first question is, have you had a five-star read this month? A book you gave five stars to? I don't think I gave either of the books a five-star. I think I gave them both fours only because I thought they could be better and I am a little frustrated with the, the time, timeline timeline thing. Yeah, I figured. Well, plus, I think you're going to be similar to me where it's pretty rare to give out a five star. Like, I would give out a 4.75 before I'd give out a five star. Yeah. If if it was based on just the characters, I think Vengeful would have gotten a five star. You Um, like them better than the characters in Vicious or just because they're different characters? I liked the... like the addition of the characters that were in Vengeful. I felt like firstly, Vicious had to be the way it was Mm -hmm. because if you opened the world up too much, it would have gone crazy. 
you kind of have to get into the small details and how it all happened before you can go further and explore more. Well, yeah, the world based, like the foundation of the world building had to be done. And that's what Vicious does. And I think with Vengeful, you kind of see the opening of like more powers. And that's what made me really like it. Because like, I'm a comic book nerd, superpowers, like this book could not have been any more directed at me not being a comic. Right. You know? Speaking of comics, though, what did you rate The Old Guard, the first book? I believe I rated it four stars as well. Hey, you had a month of just four-star reads. Like, that's a good reading month. Yeah. But for me, I read Vicious by V.E. Schwab, and it's a reread for me. But when I originally read it, I rated it five stars. Like, this is one of my all-time favorite books, partially for the morally gray characters, but also, while you might not be a fan of the timeline, I appreciated it as someone who's had creative writing experience. Yeah. So, like, that method of storytelling is Super complicated. Like, the way she told the story and released snippets of information as you needed it and not necessarily info dumped. And the fact that, like, this had to lead into this to lead into that to lead into that for the story to make sense. Like, this is some of the best, like, technical writing that I've read. Yeah, and I'm not taking away from that. It's just not my taste. Right, but for me, it's a five-star read, and it will probably be one of my favorite books for the rest of my lifetime. So I technically did read a five-star read this month, but that was a reread. Otherwise, the highest thing I rated was... A 4.5 and it was Enjoy the View by Sarah Morgenthaler. So if you're not someone who believes in like fractional star ratings, then technically this would round up to a 5. Right. But it's also a contemporary romance and I don't know that I would round it up personally. And I've discussed this book on here way too much so you know the Moose Springs Alaska series. I don't need to talk about it anymore. (laughs) Question number two. Do you have any reading goals for the year? Read more books. I actually set... That's actually a good goal for you. (laughs) (laughs) I did set myself up for trying to read about two books a month, roughly, for the year. I think that's going to be more my goal. I think that'll be good for you, though. Yeah, I don't know that I'll get there, but that, you know, so far, so good. You know, there are some people who read no books a year, which shocks me. But, like, for you, I think 24 is a good number. I I can agree with that. I'm honestly excited to try to reach that goal. Obviously, this is my first year really kind of actively reading, I guess, will be for the entire year because... And yeah, started, it. We started the podcast the middle of last year, so... Do you have any reading goals outside of, like, amount of books you want to read? Do you have, like, a genre you want to get into or anything like that? Again, I'm not well-versed enough to be like, this is what I want to do. Right. Um, I know you're going to probably enjoy more action-packed books and things like that, so I'm not going to try to get you to explore, like, literary fiction, or which is all mostly character development more than anything else. Yeah. I kind of feel like you might like the mystery thriller horror genre, maybe. Yeah. I think because they have so much action to them, you might enjoy them. But at the same time, we haven't really gone there yet. Yeah. So we'll see. For my reading goal for the year, I actually have a goal to read less because I read an insane amount of books for me last year with 128 books in 2020. Part of that was me being stuck in a bed for a month sick, but part of it was this podcast and feeling like I had to read more than just a book or two a week so that I'd have something to talk about. And I feel like that led to me enjoying what I was reading less. So I want to read less. Did I succeed in January? Absolutely not. I read more books this January than in January of 2020. So like bad on me, but I'm hoping that it'll allow me later in the year to spend more time reading longer books so that I won't be worried about hitting certain numbers or whatever. Right. But I also have a goal to read down my TBR. That's always a goal. I have a goal to what I call read it or leave it, which I have up on my blog. It's basically the eight books that were on my TBR before Christmas this past Christmas. And they've been on my TBR so long that I either have to read them this year or get rid of them. Right. Which I don't like getting rid of books at all, even if I don't enjoy them. So that would break my heart. Yeah. And then my last goal is to read the books your mother gave me for Christmas. 
And I felt like I had to actively make this a goal because it's mostly genres I don't like. Yeah. And so, like, I want to read one every other month until I run out of books that your mom gave me. Question number three, what is a genre you do not like? Can you think of one you don't like? Romance. That is probably true, though we haven't tested it. You're probably right, but I just know that that's not something I have interest in. You don't like kissing books? Not really. You don't like kissing? I do, but with you, and that's about the extent of it. This about? A, this, question is, <laughs> this question is getting very strange for no, the podcast. I, I think you're probably right. I think you wouldn't like romance because, like I said, I think you're going to enjoy action-y type books more. Yeah. Because that's just who you are. You need the story to keep moving. It's true. For me, I said historical fiction. And I think part of that is the inaccuracy. Like, I don't know a lot about history, but I know it's not as clean and sanitized and, like, nostalgic, I guess, as most people want to write it. Okay. Because I feel like people romanticize historical eras and then that leads to writing something that doesn't actually fit. But then on top of that, like in order for a writer to put you in that time in the book, they have to discuss a lot of things that I don't care about, like dresses or architecture or political crap that like, it's not people making political moves. It's just like, here we are, here's what it is. And like, that just bores me a lot. Yeah. Cause I don't care, but I also don't like a genre that is called literary fiction, which is basically a very broad category that is more like Kristen Hanna and authors like that discussing basically character-driven plots more than anything else. And it's one of those things where like, maybe I'm not the right age for this genre yet. Yeah. But so this when point, you grow up? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> And then the real reason I chose this tag is question number four. What's my favorite sports moment? No. Dang. Do you like morally gray characters? Yes. Yes. So far, so good. Obviously, Vicious and Vengeful definitely opened my eyes to that a little bit more than most of the books I've read. I think for me, I will always enjoy a morally gray character more than someone who's just standard black and white just because that's not how people are and like I can suspend my disbelief and be like okay this person's a villain and they're a bad guy and they have nothing nice about them but it makes for a better story to sort of look at this character and be like they're so evil and they're so bad and then like they say or do something that you agree with and you're like oh no why (laughs) what is wrong with me why am I the bad guy now and I mean, it's the same thing with the heroes. Like, no one's just constantly doing the right thing because they're so upstanding and moral and all this other crap. My favorite thing when talking about heroes who are just straight the good guy is the quote from Guardians of the Galaxy where the main character, I don't remember his name, says something along the lines of, why do I want to save the earth? Because I'm one of the stupid people who lives on it. Like, not because it's a good or right or moral thing. It's like, I live here. I need to save it. If I can. So our short answer would be yes. Your short answer would be yes. You also said yes. Yeah, but I didn't make a big long thing about it either. Well, fine. (laughs) And question number five, do you like to read classics? In the past, yes. I have enjoyed some of the classic books I've read. I feel like you'd have to read some now to see if that's still in your wheelhouse. Yeah, if it still stands true. But I know that in high school, I read a few of the classics because it's part of like everybody's English classes. As well, I took a film as lit class, and a lot of those classic movies have been turned into films, so I've done the comparisons between the two. I enjoy them, at least the ones I've read so far. I said absolutely not. Yeah. It's just, a lot of the time, what we consider classics now were paid by the word. And so, like, they're lengthy because they want more money, and so, like, that doesn't mean that it's a good story or it's a worse story. That doesn't say much about what the story's actually like. It's just always a lot. Yeah. Or I don't like the language that's used. It's too hard to get into. Or more likely, I don't like the setting. And like, I can't get into that time period, which is similar to historical fiction for me. Like, it's so old timey that it feels like it's historical fiction, but it's not because it was written in that time period. Yeah. So I don't know. That's just a me thing. 
question number six is quick give a random book recommendation <laughs> off the top of your head divergent i liked that series i feel like it, the first book particularly is a good recommendation i feel like that was one of the first ones that like i got into really well because i really enjoyed the setting and like the whole training thing yeah. For Divergent. I think Allegiant goes off the rails a bit. Yeah. I, but I rated it a three star. So, yeah. For me, the random book recommendation I wrote down was The Winner's Curse by Marie Rutkowski. And that's funny because the first two books are excellent and the third one kind of goes off the rails. So kind of the same. Right. Yeah. But I remember reading this and like there's so much angst and drama and like I love it and like I don't know what's wrong with my goblin brain that I like it when people are like angsty and pining and everything's wrong, but I I do. <laughs> so and th- those are the same type of feelings that I will never have. But it's not really a romance. Like, there's some romance in it. But, like, that's the part that I'm like, yes, I need this book in my soul. So, you might like it, but I don't have that on the list of things to read this season. And number seven is, do you have a comfort book? A book you go back and read for comfort? I don't think you do. Yeah, I don't particularly have anything necessarily that I'm, like, over the top sold on. I like reading, like, old military historical, like, style fiction. Like, I like that stuff. I think it's always been kind of interesting to me. And I even when I wasn't a regular reader in, like, high school, if it wasn't for school, I still read books like that, so. So what you're telling me is that in season three, I have to read some sort of military style book. Well, not necessarily. We'll see what obviously comes to be. We're still in season two, so it's a ways away, but yeah. I'm sorry, you said that and I was instantly transported and horrified. So well, there like, we are. So I I love like the documentary series, like docu series is like the Band of Brothers type mm-hmm. stuff, and I feel like that's always pretty interesting because you kind of see that military brotherhood build up between the characters, and I it's kind of like one of those family type situations where you're just like these guys could be a family outside of the combat zone they're in. What I'm hearing is that you like the found family trope. Yeah. Which I also like the found family trope. We might be able to find a middle ground here Somewhere, for us. Yeah. It might exist. Yeah. It probably does exist. For me, my comfort book, I said, I have a handful, but one of them is The Host by Stephanie Meyer. I feel the judgment already. I get you. But at the same time, if you look at it for what it is and you don't try to pin all your hopes and aspirations to it, it's really comforting to me. I read this when I was in college and again when I was in the military and just this is something that I read once every couple of years because like I like the characters and the setting and like is it kind of garbage? Yes. Yeah. It's my comfort garbage. So... But I also have The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins is a comfort series for me. I read it in college and I think I read book one in one sitting. Yeah. Like I sat down, read the whole book, got up and did other stuff. And like I've been able to do that with all the books because I just think they're that good. A lot of people crap on the third one, but I love it still. That's all that matters. And then obviously Harry Potter, I read that every year. This year might be different though. For the first time since I was 10. I don't know that we stopped that trend because you'll be mad at me if I do. Well, I just might not have the time with how everything is going. But if I do, we won't discuss it on the podcast. Yeah. So. And the last question, what is a book everyone keeps recommending to you, but you have already decided you're going to read it, just not now? So the irony behind this is what we're going to be discussing later, but a lot of people are recommending that I read The Hunger Games. Yeah. Um, and and that, that is on your TBR. Yeah, so I'm not shocked that that's one of the ones that I'll be reading on my TBR because it's like a lot of people who are like, you, oh, if you like this, you'll like that, you know, and it always seems to come back to that series. It is a well-loved series, even if people don't love the third book, but also it has a lot of action in there, and I think that's part of the reason people recommend it for you. Yeah. A book that I have on my physical TBR that everyone recommends for me. I only had one book like this because everything else that's currently on my TBR, no one's really recommended to me personally. I have books that people recommend in the book community online, but like not 
personally to me. So the only book that fits this is The Girl of Fire and Thorns by Ray Carson that my friend Lucy has recommended to me before. And that was already on my TBR when she recommended it to me. But at this point, it's been on my TBR for so long, I don't remember what it's about. And so this is one of those books on my read it or leave it list for the year. So I'll get to it at some point this year. I, who knows when. Right. But that was all the questions on that tag. That was a shorter one. Yeah, though we talked a lot because words. They're not only hard, but sometimes they run long. As for what I've been reading, this is the week of disappointments. Yeah. Not just because of ratings, but also I'm disappointed in myself because I said I'm not going to do any more three book weeks. And this is a three book week. So, like, my bad. The sad thing is they were books that you didn't really enjoy. And that's what made it worse. Yeah. So the first book I picked up, I talked about last week because I got it as a freebie, like pre-Valentine's Day in this book group I'm a part of on Facebook. And it's called The Deal by Elf Kennedy. It's a backlist book from 2015. It is book number one in the off-campus book series. It's a romantic standalone, like all of the books in the series are able to stand for themselves, but, like, they have the same characters running through the series. Yeah. It's just focused on different couples. And I ended up rating this 2.75 stars. So, like, it's slightly worse than Middle of the Road. And basically, in this book, a girl agrees to help the hockey team captain study for the next ethics exam. And in exchange, he has to pretend to be her boyfriend in order to make a guy jealous. So we're studying for an ethics exam while breaking most people's line of ethics. I mean, some people don't like lying and some people are fine with it. So there you are. But the irony is strong with this one. Basically, it's a fake dating trope and there's hockey. So like this should have been my jam, but it just it had way too much sex. Like I'm just going to put that out there. It shouldn't have had that much sex in this book. So if you want a smut book, Right. And like, that's what frustrates me because like, there's not enough books about hockey that aren't about sex, in my opinion. Is like, it because women find hockey players sexy or? Well, who doesn't find an athlete sexy in general, like broad view? <laughs> but like, my other problem with this is that it's very obvious that she is not a truly devoted hockey fan. Or if she is, she doesn't understand the sport enough as of when she wrote this book. Because she got some very basic hockey stuff wrong. Yeah. And so I'm just sitting here going, that doesn't make any sense. That's not how that game works. Why would he do that? And like that took away from it for me. Yeah. And like, I'm not a big sports person. You know, this hockey's like my only major sport that I follow. I kind of follow soccer. And so... That brought it down for me, but I liked these characters so much that I couldn't rate it lower than a 2.75 because I really like the characters. It's just as soon as they got together, it was just sex all the time. Like, I get it. You guys are into each other, whatever. But like, that was a lot for less than 350 pages. Yeah. But despite that... (laughs) I used a book credit I had so that I could buy another book by this author, but it was published like four years later. So I thought, okay, so maybe she's figured out hockey. I can read this one. Plus it's got a fake dating trope. So like, I thought I would love it. So I got The Risk by L. Kennedy. It's a backlist book from 2019. It's book number two in the Briar University book series. This one I rated 2.25 stars. So worse. It was worse. You thought the first book was bad. Try again. The main difference here was the characters. I didn't like the characters. Like, my favorite characters were side characters, but side characters who, like, don't even get their own story in this series. So not only are they side characters, they're, like, super side characters. Lovely. But it's another fake dating trope, hockey. A girl pretends that her team's rival's captain, so, like, her hockey team's rival team's captain... Mm-hmm. is her boyfriend during an interview with a hockey net director, I guess is what he is. But she's hoping to get an internship there over the summer and she drops his name because he's really hot in the world of college hockey right now. Just got drafted in the NHL, supposedly. 
Yeah. But when the interviewer actually wants to meet him, she has to agree to go on real dates with him in exchange for going on this fake date with her. And, like, that part of it was fine, but there's a lot of action-y, like, not related to the romance stuff on the sides of this story that don't get enough breathing room, despite the fact that this book is over 400 pages long. And, like the other one, too much sex. Yeah. And that's part of what drug it down i just didn't care about the characters like she's annoying he's a player and like they don't have a lot of redeeming qualities in my opinion but also we had the problem where it's like two rival hockey teams and i could not keep track of everyone because it's just it's too many people they're all way too similar and like it's too much and not enough like words on the page gotcha yeah, two whole teams, like, all the players were involved in some way, shape, or form, or... Well, like, he would have meetings with his hockey team, and, like, you'd meet eight guys from the team, but can't remember any but, like, two of them. Mm. And then, like, her dad's the hockey coach for the other team, so you'd go to, like, their practice and can't remember any of them. Yeah. So. It was a mess. It was a mess. But also, she kind of did better with the hockey stuff. So I'm like, I don't care about the romance. Let's just go watch them play hockey. (laughs) Let's see if they make it to the Frozen Four. Right. Stuff like that. But I wasn't super invested in these books. Like, I knew they were garbage when I got them. Like, that's the whole point of books like these. But a book that I wanted to like, but really didn't, and it was a major disappointment was Girls of Paper and Fire by Natasha Nian, I think is how you pronounce that. Yeah, I think that's the best pronunciation attempt, so. Yeah. It's a backlist book from 2018, and the first book in the Girls of Paper and Fire series. I picked this up when it came out originally because she is a friend of a YouTuber who we watch every morning with breakfast, and I was warned that it had some issues with consent, is how it was put to me. And so I didn't want to touch it till I was in a decent headspace to read it. And then like the fear of it just put me off reading it. But it was on my list of the read it or leave it for the year. So I decided to pick it up because I was in a decent headspace at the time. I ended up rating it 2.5 stars. This is an Asian inspired fantasy where every year eight girls are chosen to become paper girls also known as girls who are in service to the king for a year. But this year is different when Lei is kidnapped from her home and forced to become the ninth paper girl. And my only other note here is reading this book was re-traumatizing. And I've talked to you several times at this point about how I felt about this book. Yeah. It's a lot. And it is not a short book, but like it's not a super long book. But there's somewhere between like eight and ten what I would call triggering scenes. Yeah. So like maybe 10% of this book is stuff that could trigger someone who might have issues with these things. And just running through the list in my head of things that you might want to be on the watch for are death of an animal, medical trauma, sexual harassment, sexual assault, and abuse slash physical assault. And those are just the ones I can think of off the top of my head. I think I go more in depth on my review, which can be found either on Goodreads or on my blog. There's going to be a link to all the social media in the show notes. But I basically forced myself to read this in two days so I could get it over with because there is a part of my brain that doesn't let me DNF things when I'm not enjoying them or when they put me in a bad mental health space. Yeah. And so I just wanted to read it and be done with it. Understandably so. And I will say this author mentions on her Goodreads and in the book itself in the author's note that she is a survivor of sexual assault. Right. And so she said that she has tried to put care into how she's written these scenes, but even just the stuff with the medical trauma sort of thing was enough to make me go, I need to put this book down. I can't right now. And like, I don't have medical trauma, but at one point they're holding her down to do a medical exam and like, it was too much for me. Yeah. And that's kind of crappy because like, I like the world that she's built and I like the setting, like the way she's describing the setting and the world I enjoyed, but it's just so much. It is a lot. 
Yeah. And there are other problems with this book as well, because we have such a zoomed in view of this world that while there is a rebellion happening, we have no idea about any of it. I think that's a flaw. On top of that, the author doesn't do a great job of describing how this caste system works and what physical traits happen due to that because there are three castes in this world. The first being the paper caste, which means plain old humans. The top tier, the top caste being the moon caste, which are demons who have animal traits. So like there's owls and bears and tigers and wolves and stuff. Or you kind of have this in-between caste, which is called the steel caste. And so like they have some demon traits, but they are also kind of human more humanoid and like we never get a good picture on the main bad guy the king and we never get a good picture on some of the trainers or teachers for the paper girls so I feel like that could have been done better but for me the main thing is like how rough it was reading all of the sexual assault stuff and like when the main one actually happens there is sort of a fade to black moment but when you start the next chapter she's staggering out of the king's bedroom with a torn robe blood everywhere bruises everywhere and she faints at the foot of a guard who has to carry her back to her room and it's like if you know what that's like, if you know what sexual assault is like, that was more than enough information. That was too much information. And like, your mind can come up with worse than what an author's likely to put in a book. And so maybe someone who doesn't have my baggage would be fine reading this. I think though, if you're a woman, you're going to have more trouble than a man trying to read this. Yeah. I could see how that could be an issue. Obviously, as somebody who has not had that happen to them, I I really do want to try to read this book just so I have a better grasp of like what you mean by the things you're saying, obviously. But at the same time, obviously, it's not something I don't think we would continue to talk about on the podcast again because it's rough for you. Now, obviously, we're not taking a shot at her as an author. No. Like, it sounds like the story other than that was... Good, based on what you told me. You liked it otherwise. For, for the most part, this idea that you have this girl who's like, she's not the chosen one meant to stir this rebellion. And she's not the one who is supposed to be like the golden child and the hero of the story. But she is our main character. I think that's a good way to tell this story. And it puts her in some really good situations where, like, she has to make some hard decisions. But at the same time, like, even stripping out all the triggering stuff, yeah. you still have some flaws in the writing. So, like, even if I didn't have the baggage I have, it would not be more than a four star at the most. Right. For me. But that doesn't mean that this is a bad book, per se. Yeah. It sounds like a book that... I would want to read, but I don't know that I'd go out of my way to read it. Right, yeah. That's kind of my interpretation of from you, but I also like kind of, I don't know how to put it without sounding awful, I guess is the way to put it, because like it's based around historical accuracies of like the Things Asian that world. they may have gone through. Yeah, yeah, in that time, in a time period, but with a different setting. And so I like that kind of stuff like the adaptations, I just don't know that it would be a big thing for me. But at the same time, things like Game of Thrones where that happened, sexual assault yeah. was prevalent in even the TV show mm-hmm. and people were over the moon about it, I don't want to knock the book for that reason either. Right. But I'm just coming at it with my own lens. And yeah. like for me, I'm never going to read the rest of the series. That doesn't mean someone else shouldn't, shouldn't. read the yeah, series. Yeah, absolutely. So just keeping that in mind, like... I just want to make sure that it's out there for other people who need a better sort of warning than just... It has these things. There's a dicey consent issue here. There's more than that, yeah. that's really all I was told is that there's dicey consent and, like, keep an eye out. But, like, it's more than that. And, like, I haven't seen anyone discussing the medical trauma scene because, like... Even if you don't have medical trauma, that's really hard to read. And there are some people in the chronic illness community who do have actual, like, medical trauma. 
And I think they need to be considered as well. Yeah, I agree. But moving off that heavy topic, because I'm about to start crying. Um, Let's get back to the good things. Let's discuss what I plan on reading next. Yeah. I technically have started this first one. I started it while you were setting up to record today. And it is The One by John Mars. It's a backlist book from... 2017, I think, 2016, 2017. The book that I have says 2017 and 2018. So I don't know what it actually is, but Goodreads says 2016. So somewhere in there, this book came out. Okay. It's apparently going to be a Netflix adaptation based off the sticker on my book. Interesting. It is technically an adult mystery thriller, but the writing so far is like it's pretending to be a romance, but in reality there's like these dark humorous things that are happening in the first 50 pages that I really enjoyed. So basically a new DNA test comes out that can scientifically match you with your soulmate. And there are a lot of consequences and repercussions to this that a lot of people haven't seen coming. And this is a book that I saw Lala from Books and Lala read and recommend. And I went, yes, I'm going to read that. Because basically this comes out and then you have couples who are engaged or married who are like, yeah, we should do it. It'd be fun or whatever. Or they want to make sure they're married to the one and it breaks up those relationships. But then you have other sort of consequences that happen from that that I won't go into because I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, I know that you're enjoying the book so far because you had a, another burst of joy uh, while you were reading it. An exhalation of surprise. Yes. Exclamation of surprise. Yeah, I was going to say ex- exclamation. I don't know what it is, but exclamation I do know. Yes, but I think this is going to be right up my alley. There are moments where I have like a really dark sense of humor and I've already seen in a couple chapters that sort of like I'm pretending to be a romance book but in reality I'm a mystery thriller and here's a dark line or two and I've loved that. And then I am starting a new book series with you in February. So I have to read the first book this week. The Hunger Games. That is correct. We are reading the Hunger Games series by Suzanne Collins. We'll read the first two books this month and then the third one in March. And it is a reread for me, obviously. It's a backlist book from 2008. That feels like forever ago. It is a YA dystopian novel, and I'm going to try to tell the synopsis without giving away too much for you. I know you know what The Hunger Games is, I've but... I've watched the movies, so I appreciate it. There is some stuff in the books that doesn't make it to well, the movies, Well, but... go figure. It's just like Harry Potter was god-awfully inaccurate, I would imagine. Every year in the country of Panem, there is a contest between 24 children and the last one alive wins. The government uses this to keep its people in their place by taking two children from each district to compete. One male, one female. Correct. So I will be reading that as well. And I can read this book pretty quickly, but I want to take my time with it so that when we get into the in-depth discussion, we can really get there. Yeah. But hopefully that's all I read next week. I don't trust myself though. But let's get into the finale of the Villains duology. You have finished Vengeful by B.E. Schwab. Yes. Yes, yes, I have. I I liked it better than the first book. There are some people that have that opinion. I don't agree, but... And I think it had to do with some of the side plot stories. Like, it takes away a little bit from just the constant beratement of Victor versus Eli, which I after the first book needed a break from and i like the idea of like eon existing i think that's kind of a cool extension of the story plot right Uh, obviously stell was always going to do something else it was just a matter of what like you knew he wasn't going to be like part of the merit police department forever i i particularly liked like a different group outlook of eos working together yeah i don't really like marcella as a character i like her as a character but not a person yeah that's fair I did like June and I liked Jonathan. Like, I felt bad for Jonathan a lot because, like, I feel like he was just being... Used. Yeah, he was just being yanked around everywhere. And he was like, well, I guess I'm here and I'm not dead, so that's better than being dead. Like, that just seemed to be, like, his super morose attitude about everything. I feel like he was very depressed after his NDE and so that Marcella just kind of used that to make him do what she wanted. 
yeah, it was more of like, well, you, we're a family here and you're a part of this now. And, right. And he was like, well, it's better than the nothing that was going on in my life. Kind like, of like an Eeyore-ish like character <laughs> a little bit is yeah. the way I saw it. And like, it's funny that you bring up that they kind of thought they were a family because you have this sort of mirror image from the found family from the first one, which is Victor, Mitch, and Sydney. Yeah. Because now you have June, John, and Marcella. And it's like, they don't really trust each other. Like, especially June. June doesn't trust Marcella at all. June is really just a free agent that's along for the ride to an extent. Like, right. Yeah. She's doing what she has to for herself, but at the same time, Marcella's like, but you also work for me. Yeah. And so, like, I kind of like that you have this two different found families, and it's like, obviously, one is better than the other one. Right. But the Marcella, Jonathan, and June group, definitely, and, like, she comes from a mob family, Marcella, so you kind of expect that between the three of them. Like, that, it, it really felt like a mob family. Like, you had the protection detail, which is notorious with mobsters, and then you had the hitman, which was June. June would go out and kill people. Right, yeah. And that's just kind of the way it worked, so. And their family consists of, like, you can help me, so I will stay with you. And the other found family is more like, we're all each other has, so I will stay with you. Yeah. And so it's more like a foundation of love versus a foundation of, like, really shifty behavior. Yeah. Like, you talk about morally great characters. It's not morally great. It's, like, dark. Dark, yeah. yeah. You know, in comparison to the other family, which is more that morally gray area. It's more like a black shirt that's been washed one time, so it's not really black, but, I mean, it's almost. Yeah. But you see more of Sydney being growing up, which I liked, because even though she didn't actually grow or age, it seems very much, because... Like, that frat house scene was just really funny. Like, what are you... Why? Who let the little sister in? You who know, brought their of, kid sister? Yeah. And yeah. I was just like, wow. It makes sense just because of what you hear about her, but... Well, and I feel like you also explore her self-esteem issues that stem from that because everyone looks at her like she's a 13-year-old girl because she looks like a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. But at the same time, she's actually 18. So yeah. it's like your sort of identity is questioned all the time yeah and so i feel like that does a number on her and i think that's part of the reason she likes her friendship with june which i still think is weird that friendship i don't really i don't see it that being that difficult like because it seemed like you still want to have a female friend if you're a girl right and no. I, I think that's the one thing she was missing like Mitch is clearly the dad. Yeah. And Victor's the mom. Victor is kind of just Victor. Like, yeah. he's kind of like a stepdad situation, I feel like, a little bit. Like, where he's just, like, a little bit overly direct. Like, a little abusive almost sometimes. Not... I wouldn't say he's abusive, but I think he is standoffish. Yeah. And that that kind of does a number on her because she wants to have a better relationship with Victor, yeah. I feel. But the reason I think the June Sydney relationship is a little weird is how quickly June's like, oh yeah, this is mine. She's mine. She's my friend. She actually uses the phrase that Sydney is hers at one point. And it's like, are you romantically interested in her? Are you like sisters now? What is <laughs> happening? I think that's a little weird. I think it was more of like sisterly love than anything. Because yeah. like, obviously it would be creepy otherwise. But that's why my brain was like, what is happening? Yeah. But I can, I can see that as like a sister relationship for sure. I just, I don't know. There's something there that doesn't quite click with me. I did not have that problem. Maybe I didn't look into it enough. But it seemed like the crisscrossover relationships and things that are going on, like Marcella didn't end up trusting June towards the end of it and sent somebody else to tell them. And like, it got messy really, really quick. But obviously this book is notorious, just like the first book of kind of keeping you on the edge of your seat the entire time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden everything happens. Yeah. Because that's more or less the way the previous book was. Yeah. My question is... I have two questions, actually. Okay. How do you feel about Dominic working for Eon, firstly? My concerns mostly were the fact that, like, he has kind of, like, a PTSD-ness about himself already. And, like, I know that that usually stems with also anxiety problems. And you saw that very, yeah. very heavily in this book. And so, it like, living with you has opened my eyes to those types of things. So, like, I was, it was very aware for me what was going on with him and the struggles he was really dealing with. 
So my concerns with him working at Eon are kind of twofold. One being, he's an EO. This is an EO neutralizing location. Like, I don't want him to be caught. But also, the second one, with Victor dying and that taking up more time for him to come back every time, he just has to grin and bear his pain for minutes at a time, which is excruciating, as we know from the first one. Yeah. And so, like, part of me was always worried that he'd accidentally slip up and people would catch his pain or catch him, like, trying to deal with it. And I just worried that was going to end poorly. Yeah. It was sad to see what happened to him, obviously. I don't want to go fully into that because, again... That was one of those things that kind of happened so quick that you're like, wait, what? No, please don't. Oh, wait, it's over. Yeah, and I will tell you with certainty that it, I like, I didn't cry, but it, my eyes started to well a little bit. Like, you yeah. know how they get a little watery when you're just like, oh. But I've always been one of those people that gets really attached to what's weird is not like the main, main character, but like anybody that's around them. Like, the side characters, y- yeah. Well, not always just like the all the side characters, but like certain ones that yeah. I just really attached to. Like, you know, when the brothers died in Harry Potter, the twins, you know, like that. Well, the twins didn't die. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean? A twin died. But when that happened, like, it hit me like a bag of rocks. Like, when Dobby passed away, like, Yeah. You know? And and those are the types of things that I really get attached to. So, like, I love having main characters, but there's got to be something else going on and something that gets me attached to them. And I think the relationship that I have with you and the fact that you battle with PTSD and with anxiety disorder like it really tied me in emotionally to his character and so when the thing happened i was just like oof yeah it was if you haven't gathered by now the spoilers already been kind of spoiled but you know it was kind of hard to read yeah but my second question yeah i don't know how to phrase it um how do you feel about the thing that eli did per getting ready for the event at the end because this was a thing that i was like oh oh no I may not be remembering exactly what you're referencing. Are okay. you talking about when he was, like, in the vehicle? Or... No. So, when they take him to the hotel room to get ready, and he takes a shower and Oh, yeah, up... he's digging out all the freaking Blech. trackers. Yeah. Yes. First of all, Stell made a big mistake by giving Eli his folder with all the medical stuff that happened to yeah. him prior to getting rid of that one doctor. Because he knew where everything was. Right. It's like, did you not use your brain? You could have pulled out these images. He didn't need to see his, like, x-rays and crap. Yeah, but he was trying to show dominance over Eli at that well, point yeah. in time. So. I think that's an arrogance issue there. Well, without a doubt. And, like, when Eli did that, first of all, gross. Second of all, I just knew that things were going to go to hell. And, of course, they did. Yeah, that whole scene in the old courthouse was interesting, to say the least. Like, I, I found myself a couple times rereading sections of it because, like, I felt like I missed a small detail. I don't know if that's just me, but it seemed like a lot in a very short amount of time. I think that was to keep the pace going, but also I felt like, for me, the thing missing in that scene was, like, the whole purpose for her calling everyone to the courthouse. I feel like they should have allowed her to get further into her speech before everything went to hell. Yeah. But... I also really enjoyed when the confrontation with Eli and Marcella happened because she's like so strong and cocky and powerful and he's like just as arrogant as she is and she realizes that her power isn't going to work on him and she has a no crap moment and like I don't like Eli I don't like Marcella but somehow I'm rooting for Eli in that confrontation. Well that's kind of the way she wrote it was for you to root for the better of the two bad guys (laughs) i guess is really the way it is but that's the way this whole series is is really to be like you're rooting for the lesser of the two evils and and that was like a really good scene obviously at one point he is losing when they're holding back victor and it was just like the two guys whether you realize or not need each other to deal with her yeah yeah the thing that kind of got me, and I don't know how it got me this time when I've read it once before, is when, like, her power is, like, flaring out and, like, she's trying to force more out to deal with Eli. And that makes his 
collar pop off. Yeah, it falls into rust, basically. And it's like, why did no one consider the fact that she has a ruining power, the power to ruin things, that it might work on this? I think the thought was that he wasn't going to get close enough like that to kill her. But then Jonathan kind of threw a wrench into that, obviously. So it had to come down to fisticuffs, basically. But, I mean... It's kind of like he saw it coming or he was planning for it in, like, that mastermind sort of situation. Oh, I'm sure it crossed his mind. And, like, of course, he knew he'd survive it. Yeah. And so, like, that was his moment to escape. Without a doubt. And I want to know how you feel about what happened after the courthouse thing. Because I don't think the courthouse scene is the most important of all the things to happen at the end. No, I think the warehouse situation was... The, like, storage locker. Yeah, Yeah. was definitely the craziest scene in this book. And, you know, the doctor's like, yeah, in the whole warehouse area where that storage locker was, he's got it being circulated through the air, a chemical that takes away Eos' powers. Yeah. And that was a trip. Um, I think when that mic drop came, I was like, oof. But the scene where you really see Sydney prove the family values of their relationship to Victor was was deep like it was strong and and you finally saw her not as like this weak child she's a woman she can can handle her business you know well and i liked seeing how she was able to use her magic or powers whatever you want to call it to find him in the first place yeah via the heartstring type Mm -hmm. situation yeah but then this evil doctor dies which we all appreciate Yeah, because he was kind of a piece of trash. Yeah. But then you also see this, like, glimmer of hope for Victor because he can use what this doctor has made to deal with his impending... Destruction? Deaths, I guess, is what you would call it. Those fits he's been having all book long. Yeah, getting shorter and shorter of a gap between each of them. And, like, the medication or whatever you want to call it staved off one of those events for him. So he's like, I can figure out how to replicate this. I can possibly have a medication to use. And it's like this glimmer of hope for him for the future. Yeah. So I think that leaves a door open for a third book. And there's already rumors that there will be a third book. Yeah. I have a feeling there will be. I know that we call it a duology right now, but let's be honest. There'll be something to come. It's just a matter of when. Well, and she has a lot going on right now with other things, so I think it would be a while. But there were five years between the first book and the second book. Let's just hold out and see. I'll be honest, I'll be one of the first people in line for the third one if it does come out. Yeah, assuming we can do lines again by that point. And by do lines, I mean stand in a queue. I don't mean other things. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that you don't do lines of drugs. (laughs) Words are hard today. Yeah. But overall, I think as a duology, it's phenomenal. I think as a trilogy, it will be perfect. I I wonder where the rest of the story would go other than just kind of seeing everybody figure out where they're going to go after that. I think the one thing that I really disliked at the end of this one is the fact that some of our players went separate ways. And it's like, no, they're a found family. They can't do anything without the other part of the family. Yeah, like, dare we go into, like, June breaking into Eon to delete her information. That was amazing, and, like, that girl needs her own book. She really does. I I, I would read a series about her being a hit woman. Right? Yeah. That would be so good. Yeah. Though V.E. Schwab is coming out with an assassin book, maybe it has something to do with this. I doubt it, but... Probably. I think it's a different series altogether. It's called Black Tabs. It's coming out this year, supposedly. Okay. That's just what I remember off the top of my head. Okay. I think this would make a good trilogy or more. I think it's going to be one of those series that's kind of on the back burner for her because she has an open middle grade series, but she's also working on adapting one of her short stories into a show or a movie. So I was going to say, you could definitely turn this, by the way, into like a movie or a TV series. And I, I think it would be good. Yeah. It would kind of remind me, oh gosh, what's the comic that I'm trying to think of? With a little yellow smiley face. Watchmen. Watchmen. How did I get that? It's kind of a a darker series like that. And I think like... It could be so good. Oh, and I think if they turned it into a movie like Watchmen, it would be great if they turned it into a TV series as as an extension of Watchmen or or like its own storyline. Kind of like Watchmen did with the TV series. It would be good as well. I've always loved like darker superpower type things. Yeah. So 
it's not something I would be against. And honestly, they should make an adaptation of. I think it would be good. I think the only thing that would give people pause is that, A, it's it kind of seems like it could be incomplete for a few years. Yeah. Like if she was going to expand it. But also, B, you've got the whole timeline thing that I feel like a lot of people would be afraid to take on. Like, it would be hard to adapt to film, without a doubt. But I feel like Schwab would have to be the one writing it in order to do it correctly. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I think she should be part of the process. Yeah. I'm, I'm a firm believer that it should never be the author that writes the movies because I've seen movies like that and they never work out. At the very least, I think Schwab should sit down with whoever would write it and go, okay, so here's the timeline. She should work side by side with like the creative directors and things like that for yeah. the film. I will give you I that. Don't, I don't want to hold another Percy Jackson situation going on. Yeah, I don't think it would ever come to that. It, Percy Jackson has so many different ways to screw it up and they did all of them. Yeah. It's very hard for somebody to repeat that, but I feel like finding like a, a good director and a good creative director that would work alongside B. Schwab with that would make that a very good series of movies and or TV shows. If only they would do it. Yeah. They would make a lot of money, I promise. They would. They'd make a killing. Yeah. But I rated them both four stars. Realistically, I would put Vengeful at like a 4-2 like four or five, somewhere in that range. I think, honestly, with Vicious, I would keep it at a hard four. Yeah. It's just, I feel like the world opened up a little bit, and I'm not, like, a big MCU fanboy or anything like that, but I feel like having more storylines is never a bad thing, unless it gets to a point where there's just so many of them, and it just... I just wouldn't want it to be too contradictory, which is my problem with the MCU, is that you have something that completely contradicts something else in the MCU. Well, it's because there's been all sorts of people that have had their hands up in right. Marvel, and that's the problem. But I'm excited to reread The Hunger Games this next month or so. Yep, that's I, what I will be reading the next two weeks. I think it'll be something that I think is going to be easy for you to read because it doesn't get too convoluted. Yeah. So, like, it's an easy story to absorb. But I think that about wraps up the book episode, unless you have more to say. I always have more to say about Schwab books, but <laughs> I think we'll leave that there. Okay. Make sure you guys check out our social media, which will be linked in the show notes. And we'll catch you next Tuesday for a sports episode. Who knows what will be going on next week, because it just seems like there's more and more every day. The Ooh. Super Bowl will have happened. Yes, it will have at least I know that much. I don't know that we will have talked about it, though, <laughs> because we record on Sundays. So, But we appreciate you guys giving us the time, and we'll catch you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.